Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Stop Turtle MMA Podcast on cagesidepress.com. I'm Dana Gooby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC heads back to the apex this weekend for UFC Vegas 77, headlined by Holly Holm versus Myra Buena Silva. We'll be breaking down that fight and a couple other of our favorite fights on the main card. It's part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we'll also give you an underdog and a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat this weekend. Plus, as always, we're giving you the interviews you know and love. Kicking off the show this week is our interview with Evan Elder, who fights Gennaro Valdez on this UFC Vegas 77 card. And a little bit later on in the show, we'll be talking to Jamal Pokes, who's getting ready for his second UFC fight over in London next week. But before we get to any of that great content for you, I do have to let you know that this episode of the Top Turtle MMA podcast is brought to you by Game Up Hard Hydration. Welcome to the game. Welcome to Game Up Hard Hydration, the ready-to-drink beverage with sports drink flavor and adult drink fun. Make no mistake, this is no sports drink. It's a refreshing adult beverage with 4.9% alcohol by volume, a special blend of electrolytes, and way more than a hint of flavor. It's a drink that's very well drinkable. Should you stretch before you drink it? Well, couldn't hurt. Because Game Up is not a hard seltzer. Hard seltzers just don't work out. Game Up plays entirely in a league of its own. It comes in all your favorite sports drink flavors, orange, lemon, lime, fruit punch, and grape. And it hits all the right numbers at 110 calories, 1 gram of carbs, it's gluten-free, and it's got no added sugar. Game Up is for MMA maulers, urban fitness freaks, peak bagging badasses, tough mutter mothers, beer league brawlers, hot yoga hotties, high handicap hackers, committed cornhole huckers, or even just professional poolside posers who game up and get after it. Ask for Game Up wherever it is you buy beer or hard seltzer, and bring it on home for the team. Game Up brings you this episode of the Tough Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is Evan Elder, who fights Gennaro Valdez at UFC Vegas 77. That fight is this weekend, July 15th. So, Evan, I wanted to start here. Obviously, we want to talk about the fight this weekend. We want to talk about your chance to fight Gennaro Valdez. But I got to go back to the Nazim Sadikov fight because it's a fight where, first of all, it's your first time with a full fight camp in the UFC. Second of all, you're absolutely cruising, right? You're up two rounds easy, and the fight winds up getting stopped due to a cut in... I can't imagine that this is an easy thing to deal with for any fighter. So give us a little bit of the, the mental state for you after that fight in, in surrounding, you know, like rewatching that fight. Yeah. You know, it's definitely not anything easy to deal with. I uh, felt like I was just about four and a half minutes away from getting my first win in the UFC, which is, you know, obviously a huge milestone. And um, man, even now, whenever I look back and watch the fight, uh, I feel like my heart gets ripped out of my chest whenever they stop the fight, you know, um, but I, I'm I'm such a firm believer and uh, in God's plan and what He has for me that you know I try my best not to you know not to question what happens and and just to uh, do my best to um, you know take what's given to me and, and to keep moving forward because I know that ultimately it's going to work out the way it's supposed to. So it was definitely hard at first, but um, but you know later that night we got notified that we got fight of the night uh, that you know it's. It, Things, things worked out. There was a there was a ton of good that came from that fight, even though it didn't, resulted in a loss, you know, due to the stop from the cut and stuff. But 
you know, nonetheless, um, got right back to work, let that cut heal up and uh, assessed what I needed to work on, what the things I did good and the things I did bad. And, um, you know, improved a lot during this fight camp and uh, ready to uh, right my wrongs and get my hand raised. Well, and, and you sort of mentioned what I was going to ask next, which was, you know, what you did right, what you did wrong. A lot of times after a win, people will look back and say, oh, you know, I could have buttoned up these tiny things. After a loss, you're like, do I have to make wholesale changes? This was a loss, but like at the same time, it doesn't feel like you had to make big changes. You were cruising. You were doing really well. How, how did you handle the adjustments afterwards? Did you feel like you had to make big changes afterwards? Uh, I mean, me personally, I feel like I'm always trying to make big changes. My goal is to every single time I step in a cage for for me to be unrecognizable from my previous um you know, my previous performance to have made so much improvement that it's almost uh, hard to even compare me to the same person, you know. So uh, whether you win or lose, it doesn't really matter to me because I'm just going to be back. I'm going to be trying to uh, be back in the gym right away and work on the things that uh, I need to work on and uh, always attack my weaknesses. And, um, you know, it's it's there was uh, a lot of stuff that went well, but, you know, plenty of stuff. We've always got stuff to improve on, especially in the fight game, man. I mean, with, with all the martial arts – uh, you know, we're not just specialists in any one in one craft. So we have uh, plenty to work on, and all the all kinds of different forms of martial arts to to master. So always room for improvement, and um, you know that's exactly what I did. Just got right back to work and um, ready to uh, show all the improvements I made. Now, now you mentioned the fight of the night in there too. I, I obviously want to ask you about: Did you have big plans for the 50k when you you got that notification, or was it more like? Hey, this is a life-changing amount of money. Let's stash this away for a rainy day. Oh yeah, no, I didn't have any plans, man. I, I uh, you know, I never, I never expect too much. You know, I'm gonna uh, prepare for the worst and pray for the best. You know, and and uh, deal with things as they come. But yeah, for the most part, man, I was just thankful to be able to help out some of the people in my family with a little bit of money and give back to some of those that have just given so much to me. And and um, you know, the rest is just sitting up in the bank, ready for. Uh, ready for what's next and um hopefully we can go out there and get another 50k bonus that'd be nice to uh keep stacking up these checks and uh this time i'm gonna leave with three checks though i gotta get my win bonus too (laughs) (laughs) absolutely now we're gonna talk about that fight in just a second but before we do you know i i did want to ask you about your your career in general and looking back at your career in general because you know you've now been a pro for it's damn near close to five years but when you look back at your whole career You've been fighting. You're coming up right now on your seventh or eighth year. Correct me if I'm wrong. Eighth year anniversary of your first amateur fight. You're only 26 years old. That, I mean, obviously that means you started fighting when you were 18. Was it something you always knew you wanted to do? Did you always knew that this was your your career path? Yeah, man. Ever since I was real little, I remember. You know, I, I always say uh, I remember back to. You know, right around when I was like six years old, I remember watching the fights with my with my dad, who's a huge UFC fan, and, and uh, right away I knew I was like, "Oh, that's what I'm gonna do." You know, one day I'm gonna be a champion in the UFC. So, I mean, that's been my goal ever since I was little, and uh, never really lost sight of it. So, uh, you know, until I was 18, uh, I started training when I was about 13 or 14. Um, you know, I wrestled a couple years in, in school, did fairly well. So my dad was, uh, you know, just agreed to find me an agent. And uh, once I started training, I stopped everything else and um, just pursued that wholeheartedly and competed in, you know, jiu-jitsu tournaments and and kickboxing matches and boxing matches until I was old enough to compete in MMA, which was 18 for the state of Missouri. And, uh, you know, 
once I turned 18, started competing in MMA and haven't turned back since, man. I'm just, I, uh, I really do love what I do and, and I'm blessed to, blessed to get to do what I love. Well, that's awesome. Now, so that means you've been watching fights now. That means for 20 years, if you've been watching fights since you were six years old, did you have a fighter back then who like sort of, you know, was the reason you wanted to fight or was it more just like, you know, I'm watching with my dad, my dad loves this. And then the natural bond to the sport through that. I'm sure it was more so I'm sure that, it, you know, a lot of it came from, you know, my dad being a big fan and, and uh, me wanting to do what, what, you know, something that my dad liked. And, uh, but I also, I just, I just loved it too. You know, I'm sure I, I would just, the reason I say that is I'm sure that played a factor, you know, in my six year old self's, uh, you know, way of thinking, but, but I also just loved the sport ever since I was younger, man. And it wasn't any necessarily any particular one fighter that, uh, really inspired me or made me want to, you know, pursue this dream, but, uh, just the sport is in, in general, man. I just, I think without even really realizing, I, I think, I think we have a deep intrinsic, um, intuition that will kind of let us know exactly what it is we need to do. And, uh, I mean, to me, it's just God, but, you know, I think God really, um, you know, really called me in a young age just because I knew that somehow that that was going to make me the, the, the person and uh, the man that I need to be, you know, going growing up. And, and uh, I knew that if I could handle those stressors, you know, what it would take to be uh, uh, of a high caliber mixed martial artist or, or world champion, you know, I, I would be I would be able to, you know, provide for my family and, and, and uh, overcome the adversities of this world. That, that's awesome to hear. Now, I, I got to ask, too, because I've heard a lot of things about parents and their influences on, you know, their their children in MMA, both, you know, men and women. Is, is it – does your dad love that you're in MMA? Because I've heard some who've been into MMA, but as soon as their kid wants to be in it, they're like, eh, I'm, I'm not so sure about that one. So did your dad love that that's, like, the path that you wanted to take? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, that, he was super ecstatic and – uh you know, my family's always been really supportive and, and, and helped me. Uh, you know, it's kind of just, you know, no matter what you want to do, just make sure you're going to do it to the best of your ability, you know. So, um, you know, I've always had a lot of support from my family, and they've always helped me to get to where I need to be. Well, that's great to hear. Now, let, let's talk a little bit about your fight with Gennaro Valdez, because Valdez is a guy who is kind of an interesting matchup for you, because, you know, a, as we saw with your fight with Sadikov, you know, you can get it done with the hands, you can get it done on the ground. Valdez is a guy who's mostly just been getting it done with the, on the ground in his career. He's a guy who's got good wrestling, got tons of submissions on his record. How, how did you feel that you matched up with him after they gave you that as the name for your third fight in the UFC? Uh, yeah, man, I really love this matchup. I think it's a great matchup. Uh, uh, we're both on, you know, coming off of two losses and, and, you know, probably feel like we got our back up against the wall and might be fighting for a job. And uh, I think that's going to make for even more of an exciting fight. Uh, you know, I know he gets a lot of wins by, uh, uh, on the ground, you know, gets his work done on the ground, but I really look at him as much more of a striker. I think he comes out and tries to brawl and what ends up happening is, um, uh, you know, he touches people up on the feet and then it opens up to takedowns. So I think that, I think even on the ground, you know, he starts landing shots and, uh, you know, he gets all, I, I just, I look at him as a lot more of a uh, striker than necessarily a grappler. He, he does have, um, good jujitsu and stuff, but, I think that I'm actually going to have, uh, that's where my biggest advantage is going to lie is, is on the ground. So, uh, I think if his biggest chance of beating me is, is just catching me with something big on the feet. But, 
but he's, you know, just like you would expect from anybody in the UFC, you know, we're at the highest level. Everybody's going to be good everywhere. So, uh, I really do think his greatest attribute is his, his toughness, his, his, uh, conditioning, his durability. Um, you know, just his warrior spirit, the dude, the dude's going to show up to fight and, uh, fight until he can't anymore, you know? And so I got to ask you, too, you mentioned in there you're both on two fight losing streaks and you're a little bit worried about, you know, what does this mean for the career afterwards? Now, obviously, you said your faith is a huge piece of this and you feel comfortable that what's supposed to happen is going to happen. But but how much does that weigh on the way that you approach this fight? Do you do you approach it a little bit more safe than you usually would? Are you a little bit more aggressive than you usually would? Does it affect you in any way, shape or form here? Um, it definitely played a lot into, uh, my nerves at, at the beginning, you know, cause I did feel like my back's up against the wall, you know, and it's like, um, uh, you know, for both of us really, you know, I think that we're both going to be in a very similar position, you know? Um, but yeah, you know, I played in, I, I thought about it a lot at first and, uh, but to me, it's just, it, it's just another fight, man. It doesn't really make a difference. I'm going to go out there and, uh, I'm going to get my hand raised by any means necessary if I, if I KO him in the first or if I uh, get into a three-round drug-out war, you know, and have to, to leave it all in the cage, that's what I'm prepared for. So um, whatever happens, uh, I'm okay with. You know, I, I know that God's got me, and, and, you know, his plan is ultimately going to prevail and be better than what anything I could imagine anyway. So um, worst-case scenario, I lose this fight. I get cut from the UFC, and uh, um, all it's going to do is give me more time to uh, um, you know, prepare myself outside the UFC and then come back in a couple years and be much better and and uh you know stake my you know start my start my real journey then i love that mentality now i, I usually end these things and, and you kind of you kind of undercut my question here i'll be honest but i usually end these things with asking the fighters for a prediction about how you see this fight going you said you're prepared for anything but is there anything that you see when you mentally prepare yourself for this fight as the end come J- july 15th you know, I really do. I think that uh, I really see myself getting to the finish, you know, later into the fight. He's going to be tough, man. He's, he's not going to be wanting to go anywhere. But, um, you know, like I said, you know, we always hope for uh, a quick, easy finish. Um, but I'm, I'm more than prepared to, um, you know, go into deep, deep waters and, and, and find out, you know, what we're both really about. And I think when it gets to that point, I'm going to find, you know, we're going to find out that I'm a lot more prepared and willing to uh, leave everything I have in there. So I think I'm going to end up getting a uh, finish later in the fight. And, um, you know, if not, I'm, uh, I'm I'm willing to take it to decision, but I'm going to get my hand raised by any means. All right. Well, you're here to hear first, folks. This has been Evan Elder, who fights Gennaro Valdez at UFC Vegas 77. Once again, that fight is on July 15th. Evan, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Dan. It's good talking to you, buddy. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Evan Elder. I once again am Daniel Gumby Freely, and joined now by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, let's start here. Uh, there was nothing more impressive this past weekend at UFC 290 than Alexander Volkanovski systematically dismantling and then finishing Yair Rodriguez. He added all kinds of new wrinkles to his game, both striking and grappling-wise. Never looked in danger, even for a second. So I got to ask you. There's a lot of talk going on about him being the featherweight GOAT. There's a lot of talk about him being maybe one of the greatest all-time, period. Never mind weight class. Where, where do you fall on the greatness level of Alexander Volkanovsky? 
So those are big questions to start off a show. Uh, he is the featherweight goat as of right now for me. I don't need to see anything else. I don't really even need to like dig into the weeds on why that is. You know, I, at one point people were calling Max Holloway the featherweight goat. He's beaten him three times. So we're done there. He's defended enough times. And, you know, what can you even just say about him? Like the evolution of his striking and what I even think he's brought to MMA striking in general, just the switching of stances. It's so fluid. He's very GSP-like, and we'll obviously start making comparisons in a second on GoTalk, but he's very GSP-like in the ability to beat people anywhere in the game. He's good all over. He is a true mixed martial artist, and there's so few people you can say that about. It's like GSP, it's John Jones, and uh, Mighty Mouse, and now we're going to talk about Volkanovsky. Wherever the fight goes, he can win, and that's truly amazing. Now, GOAT talk, not ready to go there yet. I'd like to have that talk as we see maybe like three or four more fights from him. We get more towards like the back end of his career, and we see what that looks like. For me, it's still GSP and John Jones, but what says you? Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you on that. I, I still think GSP and John Jones probably have a little bit more resume-wise over him. Um, in terms of being, like, the most skilled martial artist of all time, I, I think he's probably even past John Jones, in my opinion. Like, when we think about John Jones, like, the reason he is so dominant is because he's doing what he's doing at such a high weight class, where, let's be honest, the people are just less athletic, less fast, less, uh, you know, less good at MMA up there, right? Like, you watch a even a middling level heavyweight fight, and it is nowhere near the skill of even the worst featherweights in the UFC, right? Like the worst featherweights in the UFC always look better. So like, I think skill-wise, he's probably past the likes of John Jones, but you're right. Resume-wise, I think he's got a little bit more to go. As far as featherweight goes, I think you're right. Unquestionably, he's the greatest featherweight of all time. You know, a lot of people have said Max Holloway is. Not only has he beat Max Holloway three times, but also let's let's remember, because, you know, people are comparing how many title defenses he has to Jose Aldo. The people Jose Aldo was beating in his title defenses, Mendez got those kind of guys on the way to the title. Or uh, uh, Volkanovski got those guys on the way to the title. Mendez being one of them, he fought Mendez and Aldo on the way to the belt. Right? Like, this is not a guy who had to defend against Mendez or who had to defend against Aldo because he had already gotten past him. Uh, and then he got past uh, Max Holloway three times. So I think, like, e- even if you're trying to say, you know, he doesn't have the title defenses or he doesn't have this or doesn't have that, he's the best featherweight of all time. I think that's unquestionable. And uh, the rest of it, I think, is just a matter of time before we're really talking about him being, you know, the greatest martial artist of all time. Yeah, I think. Uh... I just, I don't know. I, if someone, if there are fans out there that want to interact on this, at Top Turtle MMA on the social media, like, let us know. How could you not say he's the featherweight goat? I mean, he beat Max Holloway. He beat Jose Aldo. And Jose Aldo, I would still call pretty good. Maybe not like peak Jose Aldo. Um, I give him zero credit for the Chaz Mendez win. Not that Mendez is a former champion or anything, but Mendez clearly had one foot out the door at that point. Um, but yeah, just, I mean, and then even Korean zombie is like a great, Oh, he made and Korean Brian zombie Ortega. look like he had never fought before. You yeah. Know? Like, like and it, it was a dismantling. It, Korean zombie and Brian Ortega are two guys who I think at different points, if timing had been right, could have been featherweight champions themselves. 
but they were just in an era when Max Holloway and Alexander Volkanovsky and Jose Aldo roamed the earth. But, it, it, you know, they, like those were top tier, not like tippy top elite, but they were sort of like 1A, one or I guess 1B in this case. Um, so a lot of these wins are really impressive. And his loss is very impressive when he came up in weight class to Makachev. Not that that should count towards him being a featherweight goat. But I will say as, you know, the career continues to, you know, roll out here and as he goes into the second half, I do want to see him at 155. I mean, he's more or less clear after he beat Vila, which I assume he will, and he, he we could officially say he's cleared out 145. Um, I need to see him against top five people at 155. I'd be very interested to see him against uh, Michael Chandler, Dustin Poirier. Just seeing how he would deal with the reach of, of Dustin Poirier, he's such a smart fighter. Um, whatever we think of as a disadvantage – I'm fascinated to see how he approaches it because I know it's going to be good. Yeah, and I think we're going to see that sooner rather than later. I, I know you just said after he beats Aaliyah, I, I kind of have a feeling they're going to do the, the Islam run back first. Um, because, you know, yes, Aaliyah Tapuria clearly earned a title shot. But also, like, who, who's to say he can't fight Max Holloway for an interim title after Max, you know, waxes Korean zombie the way we all know he's going to? Who says they can't fight for an interim title in January? You know, or who says they can't fight for an interim title in December? And then let Volkanovski go fight for that other one. Because it's really Aaliyah, Max, and nobody else. So, like, I mean, let Max either, you know, take out Aaliyah. And I know this is completely contradictory to what I said before. Because when Aaliyah won the other day, I was like, hey, just let him get his title shot. But now having seen Max, he didn't just beat Yair Rodriguez. He made Yair Rodriguez his bitch, um, and in a violent way, and in a way that made it look like that Yair Rodriguez had never seen anybody even close to that caliber. And so for that to have happened, I, I don't know. I, I'm ready for him to have his shot at 155, you know, stardom again. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens, but I'll tell you what else is going to be interesting to see what happens. UFC Vegas 77 is this weekend. It's a bit of a hangover card after a massive pay-per-view last week, but that doesn't mean there aren't opportunities to make some money. And maybe we can figure out, you know, are there any diamonds in the rough when it comes to fighters or fights on this card? So let's get into our favorite segment on the show, Fights, Dogs, Parlays for UFC Vegas 77. But before we start that up, Gumby, does anyone sponsor this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays? Absolutely. Fight Sucks and Parlays is brought to you by Game Up Hard Hydration. Welcome to the game. Welcome to Game Up Hard Hydration, the new ready-to-drink beverage with sports drink flavor and adult drink fun. Make no mistake, this is no sports drink. It's a refreshing adult beverage with 4.9% alcohol by volume, a special blend of electrolytes, and way more than a hint of flavor. It comes in all your favorite sports drink flavors, orange, lemon, lime, fruit punch, and grape, and it hits all the right numbers at 110 calories, 1 gram of carbs, it's gluten-free, and it's got no added sugar. Ask for Game Up wherever it is you buy beer or hard seltzer and bring it on home for the team. Boom. All right. Well, let's start in the main event, as we are known to do. Holly Holm, a minus 175 favorite. Myra Bueno Silva, a plus 135 dog. Holm coming off a win over Gianna Santos. She had lost to Caitlin Vieta before that via split decision, and she had beat Irene Aldana and Raquel Pennington before that. So going back to 2020, Holly Holm is 3-1 and one in her last four our girl Myra is on a three-fight win streak. She lost to Manon Firo back in October of 2021 and has since reeled off three wins, two via submission, 
she armbarred Stephanie Egger and she kneebarred Lena Landsberg. That was her most recent victory back in February of 2023. Big step up in, co- in competition, big step up in name value, but she finds herself the dog here, does Myra. Who you got? I'm going to go with Holly Holm. Uh, while, while I, I'm going to say this. There's very rarely been a fight where I'm as confident on one side. And God, I hope I'm wrong as this one right here. Because while I really think Holly Holm just has too much for Myra Buena Silva in terms of, you know, distance management, speed of her strikes, takedown defense. I actually think she has the ability to wrestle Myra Buena Silva if she wants to. She shouldn't because she's probably worse at jiu-jitsu than Myra Buena Silva. But she has the ability to go there too. I think she has so many advantages. But God, do I hope I'm wrong. Because look, this division especially with Amanda Nunez retiring, needs a shakeup, needs a fresh face at the top, needs somebody to make it exciting. And a 750th Holly Holm title shot is certainly not it. So listen, I'm going to say I am very confident, especially at that number at Holly Holm. And my God, do I hope I'm wrong. (laughs) I like it. Um, We'll move on then to Jung Young Park, a minus 160 favorite to Albert, the Machete Durav, a plus 130 dog. Uh, Jung Young Park is coming off, uh, well, he's on a three-fight win streak, I should say, and he's coming off a rear naked choke victory over Dennis Tillelian. He beat Joseph Holmes via rear naked choke, and he took a split decision win over Eric Anders. You'd have to go back to him losing in a fight-of-the-night effort lost via KO to Gregory Rodriguez back in October of 2021. Um, so he is 3-1 in his last four. And total in the UFC, he is 6-2, and two, which is nothing to Steve, sneeze at. And uh, Duryev is coming off a win himself. He had lost to Joaquin Buckley back in June of 2022 and then uh, came back with a win over Chidi Nukawani. Uh, he is in the UFC, if you count Dana White Contender Series, 3-1 and one total. But here he finds himself the plus-130 dog, does Duryev. Who you got? I got Jung Young Park. I, I think uh, I think he's rightfully a favorite in this fight. And I think the main reason for me is just that, like, if Duryev is going to win, he he needs to get some of his wrestling going. I, I actually thought he lost that fight with Chidi and Chikawani. I think the only reason he wound up winning were the optics of the wrestling and I don't know that he's going to get any of that going with Jung Young Park. Jung Young Park's a great wrestler. He's a guy coming off of two straight rear naked choke victories on his own. I think he's a little craftier on the feet. He uses some of those karate style strikes, some good distance management. You know, he flicks some kicks out there. I, I don't think Durayev does enough of those things on the feet. And I think really, apart from like catching a kick, I, I don't really see Durayev taking Jung Young Park down. So... Uh, with all that being said, you, you really run into a problem of not really knowing how Durayev is going to pull out the victory. So I, I'll go with Park here as a slight favorite. Uh, Walt Harris is on a three-fight losing streak, but he finds himself the favorite at minus 160 to Josh Parisian, who is a plus 130 dog. Parisian coming off a loss himself um, in the UFC, uh, counting his Debut win on Contender Series. Uh, Josh Parisian is four and two total. He's the dog here at plus one thirty. Who you got? I'm gonna go Walt Harris. I mean, I think this number would be crazy inflated even further to the Walt Harris side had he not been on a massive layoff. And yeah, you're right. Three fight losing streak certainly looks scary. But when you look at the types of people Walt Harris is fighting, 
like it, it certainly is reasonable for him to be on a three fight losing streak, right? We're not talking about him be getting beaten by, you know, the slums of the division or people that make him fireable. He, he lost to Overeem, Alexander Volkov and Marcin Tybura. And not for anything, he was piecing up Tybura before he eventually got caught and dropped. So like, you know, and, and I actually thought he was winning the Volkov fight until he took that body kick and, and got dropped too. So like, I, I think Walt Harris is too fast for Parisian. Parisian's also a guy who, if he doesn't get his ground game going, certainly isn't going to win. I don't know that he's going to take down Walt Harris. So, um, you know, barring Walt Harris looking rusty as all hell due to the big long layoff, I, I'm going to take my third favorite here. I like it. All right, let's then get to uh, a couple of uh, non-fight picks here. It's our dog of the week. Um, Otman Aziatar is a plus 100. Let's hear it. Yeah, I like Otman Aziatar here over Francisco Prado because, you know, when I saw that debut from, fight from Prado against Jamie Malarkey, you know, he's just a guy who, like, leaves himself out there quite a bit. And in his regional fights, he's done really well with that because it draws people in. It makes them brawl with him. And, like, you know, ultimately that helps him win. Jamie Malarkey didn't give him any of that, picked him apart, made him look like a fool, 130-27 across the boards. I think Aziatar is the type of guy who's going to brawl with him, which is why I think Prado comes in here as an ever-so-slight favorite. But I also think that that Aziatar is the kind of guy who hurts more than Prado does. He hits so freaking hard. Yes, he is coming off of that loss, but two straight knockout wins before that. I think Aziatar just stings him with a hook here and drops him. So, uh, yeah, give me Atman Aziatar here at uh, plus money. Our parlay to play is Evan Elder, a minus 300, and Victoria Dudikova, a minus 175. Pair them together, it gets you plus 101 odds. Break it down. Yeah, so Evan Elder being a 3-1 to one favorite here makes a lot of sense being that. I really thought he was beating Nazim Sadikov, and, and hey, the judges did too. They had him up two rounds to, to none going into that last round. He gets a weird cut on a kind of an awkward, you know, uh, clinch, and at the end of the day, they wind up stopping it. So he had this first win ripped away from him. They give him a huge step down in competition against Gennaro Valdez, and as a result, I think, you know, there, there's still value on him at negative 300. You probably don't want to play that all by itself, so let's go to Victoria Dudakova, somebody who we saw in the Contender Series having phenomenal wrestling, just absolutely great work with her ground game, and Estela Nunes, somebody who gives up tons of takedowns and is seemingly kind of, you know, the wet noodle of this division. So I'll take Victoria Dudakova to just grind out 15 hard minutes here, and when you pair those together, getting plus money on the end of it, I can't see why not. Boom. That wraps up this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays at Top Turtle MMA. On the social medias is where you can find us. Gumby, we're having a party. Let's not let it stop. What do we do next? We're going to transition now to my interview with Jamal Pogues, who is fighting at UFC London next weekend against uh, Mick Parkin in London against a Londoner. It's going to be an exciting one. He's super excited to finally get to fight in front of a large arena, and we're going to get to all that great content for you right now. All right, and joining me today is Jamal Pogues, who fights Michael Parkin at UFC London. That fight is on July 22nd. So, Jamal, I obviously want to talk about that fight with Parkin, but before we do, the last time we talked, we talked a lot about your journey to the UFC. You know, two contender series bouts, an LFA title bid, finally getting that late replacement fight that got you into the UFC. Now you got your first UFC win, so I obviously have got to ask, what did it feel like to get your hand raised there in the apex? You know, it was, it was a crazy moment. 
and I think it was better that I got to enjoy it with with my parents being there. That's what made the the moment surreal. It didn't really hit me until I saw their faces, and uh, you know, my dad usually don't cry. Send it, you know, send water up, and then you know, my mom was crying again. I think it really hit me then when they realized how long it took to be here, and then that's why I was just like, man, like I finally did it. That that's awesome. Now I'm curious too because the, the UFC is very limited in their seating options, right? Like they they barely give away any tickets or have any tickets for people in the Apex. How, how did you get both your parents there? You know, it was a lot of people from our management team to people who work inside the UFC offices, uh, the people at the the PI. You know, we 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 just kept everyone was just kind of you know pre- pressuring them. I'm not gonna say we kind of forced the hand, but you know. <laughs> You know, eventually you just get tired of everyone coming at you from different angles, you know, and and I think that's why that moment was the best. That's awesome to hear. Absolutely awesome to hear. Now, I also wanted to ask you, you know, you mentioned the Performance Institute in there. When we were talking before your last fight, you were talking about, you know, the move up to heavyweight, deciding to sort of permanently be a heavyweight to make your body frame match being a heavyweight. How, how did it feel in there? Did you feel like you had for a bunch of your previous fights? Did you feel different? You know, uh, you know, it's, um, I'm still building. And, you know, it sounds crazy as, you know, people don't realize this is only my third fight in heavyweight, you know. And I'm going to say, um, you know, going into this one with Michael Parkin, and, you know, it was building the size. And, you know, after this fight, you know, me and the lady, Rebecca Summers, you know, my conditioning coach at uh, PI, you know, after this next fight, she was like, we're going to work on leaning you out now, you know, but, the biggest thing was putting on the size, putting on the muscle, and still being able to move and be athletic and be explosive in, in all those things. But it's definitely take a lot of time to, like, you know, it's, it's going to take me a couple of fights to finally feel where I'm comfortable at. But um, I feel confident in, in, in the direction I'm going. And, and you're a, a guy who, who's usually a lot bigger than his opponents for the most part, right? Even at light heavyweight, you know, you're six foot three, you got a 77 inch reach, you're like, you're a big, long, heavy, or light heavyweight. Was it weird being in there and being the smaller guy for the first time? You know, it, it is, and it's scary, but it's um, that's the thing people don't realize is I know the risk of going up, you know, and I also know the risk of me going down, so it's really 50-50, you know. Um, in the off season, you know, I never really got to enjoy family and friends, you know, like I automatically after rehydrating and eating, you know, I'm back up to 235, and – you know, it was that long cut to, to you know, the 205. And, and it was and it wasn't like that I wasn't lean. Like, yeah, I'm chubby now, but, you know, cutting to a 205, I was lean. And, you know, it's kind of hard to cut, you know, when you're sitting around 13% body fat and you got 30 pounds to cut to make 205. It wasn't like I was heavy. I didn't have a high body percentage. You know, I had abs and then I was cutting. So, you know, the time off, the time away, and finally moving up to heavyweight and going with these bigger guys, you know, I definitely got to rely a lot more on my technique for being a smaller guy for all those years. And does, uh, out of curiosity, too, does this mean that we could possibly be seeing you a little bit more frequently in the cage? Because I know you're like, you know, you're usually like a twice a year kind of guy. But, you know, you got a real quick turnaround here in just five months. Is this maybe more of a situation where we're going to start seeing you three, four times a year because you don't have to do that big weight cut? You know, it's the one is a big weight cut, but it's, it's, it's harder on the local scene, you know, and that's what a lot of people don't realize is when when you hit these big shows, you know, these big shows, they're ready to go. They're ready to book you. You know, they're like, hey, look, man, we put you in here. We're paying you this money. We need you to go. And on the local scenes, you got people who don't want to fight. 
you know, promotions, trying to save their guys, um, bad matchups, people don't want to fight this guy. So it's a lot of it's a lot of BS people don't realize that you have to deal with on the local scene. Not saying you don't have to deal with it when you hit to the, you know, the upper echelon of the sport, but it makes it a lot easier. And, you know, a lot of those times is, like, I did try to get fights and people wouldn't do it. But, you know, when you're putting in six, seven, eight, nine months of, like, just constant work and staying ready, you know, eventually you just get burnt out. But definitely now it's it's easier to say that I'm going to be a lot more active, you know, two, three fights a year. You know, after July, we'll love to fight in December, you know, you know before, the end, before the end of the year closes, maybe the last fight of the year before Christmas. But I'm definitely looking forward to being more active. We're looking forward to it, too. Now, obviously, the first step to that is this fight at UFC London on July 22nd. I got to ask, this is, you know, you've been in the Apex three times now, twice for the Contender Series, once for your UFC debut. What's it like knowing you're going to fight in front of a, a live UFC crowd for the first time? I'm, I dream of this moment my whole life. I've pictured the moment I... I tell you, I can I can I can envision everything from them opening the curtains, the countdown of us walking out, to the music being played and, and the fans, you know, uh, it's 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 a dream come true. That's the that's the best way I can explain it, you know. It it feels like everything's like a dream right now. And I can't wait. And I've always wanted to fight in London growing up, you know, watching you know, watching the fights in the O two arena, watching fights in you know, in London and all that man, I wanna go in London to fight for the OC, so for it to be my first fighting a big crowd you know it's, it's just you know surreal and i'm gonna, I'm gonna take you in a moment that's awesome to hear now obviously you know like a big part of your fight in the apex like you said in your debut where your parents being there i i have to assume are they making the trip out to london do you got fans and, and fr- friends going out there uh for the fights in london i have a couple of friends going uh my mom dad they said that's too far of a trip <laughs> but uh <laughs> um but i have a couple of friends that's going you know i have three good friends that are coming out um, they're going to hang out with me, obviously, fight week and, you know, enjoy the week with me. And, you know, a lot of us, we all invested into this, you know. So I'm glad I had the experience. I'll be able to experience it with them and then also, my, you know, my coaches and stuff. But definitely have my friends out there where we can just have fun, joke around, you know, talk shit to each other. It's going to make fight week a little bit easier. That's great to hear. Now, I, I want to ask you, you know, obviously, it's awesome to be fighting overseas. The O2 Arena is, you know, historic and all of that. But it's also a fight in enemy territory, right? Michael Parkin, a guy coming off the Contender Series, just like you did, but also with a huge UK following behind him. Have you thought at all about that? Does that not matter to you? Is is just crowd noise, crowd noise? Yeah, you know, it's, I've been look, I've been overlooked my whole life. You know, I've been doubted. I've been overlooked. I fought many a times in in people's home states and. You know, to me, it's nothing different. You know, I feel like everything builds up and everything happens for a reason, you know. And he's big in the U.K. already know I'm going to be booed. But I know after, the, like, U.K. fans always do, they're going to appreciate you and love you when you come out. Um, but it's but that just makes me – that just made me work my ass off this camp, you know. And I know I'm going out there in Old Arena, and I know I'm in this hometown. I know the commission is going to be on this side. And I know if it's close, they're going to give it to him. So my job is to bust my ass in the gym, work my ass off. And when I get out there to show all the hard work I've done, you know, and, and don't leave it in the judge's hands, you know. And and if I do, make sure it's, it's no other way they can't say it wasn't my fight. I like that mentality. Now, I do like asking fighters about this occasionally because I don't know if you're a guy who looks at the odds and looks at who's supposed to win and all that kind of stuff, but they recently posted the Vegas betting lines for this fight with you and Michael Parkins. 
and you're a big favorite. Uh, you're you're over a two to one favorite, almost a three to one favorite over Michael Parkin right now. Is, is that something you know? Keep an eye on. Are are you surprised to hear that? Are are you are you you know sort of expecting that? You know, no, but uh, it's, I'm not gonna lie to you. It, it, it feels good, man, to finally have uh, people supporting my side now. You know, I always, like I said, I've if you go down my record and see the people I fought and. I was always I was always on the B side, you know, I was always overlooked and, and I got some big wins on my record that I shouldn't have because people didn't think I could win. So to me being a favorite now is like, okay, cool, people starting to see my talents and my work, but it doesn't change the fact, um, you know, when we got to go out there and fight because I know he's busting his ass too. And I just got to make sure that, um, you know, that I'd make sure, I'll make us keep favoring me, you know, and I told everyone back home, like, you know, I have friends and family that know me, but they're gonna make their money's worth definitely that night absolutely so that this is usually where i ask the big question what's your prediction ufc london july 22nd how's it end i'll be honest with you scott it's gonna be a tko finish um i see i see ground and pound i see me out working this guy i put a lot into this camp pushing the pace pushing my stand-up pushing my wrestling definitely did a lot more wrestling uh, even though i'm traditionally do that but um just gonna break him i'm gonna break him and i hope uh he has to keep up with the pace and the wrestling. Definitely, he's not going to be able to stand back up like uh, Parisian did. Me and my coaches worked a lot on that because, you know, and the biggest thing is me coming back up to heavyweight and getting used to heavyweight and the power and in my body too. So I got a little bit more time moving around with this bigger frame. So uh, it's going to be a definitely a hard night for this man, and I hope he's ready for it. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This is Ben Jamal Pokes, who fights Michael Parkin at UFC London, July 22nd. Jamal, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much again. And that's going to do it for another episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you guys for tuning in once again. We could not have a show without you guys. We would also like to thank our sponsor, Game Up Hard Hydration, and remind you guys that you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Top Turtle MMA in both of those locations. And until next week, I'm Danny Gubby Freeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte. And we will catch you then.